Hey, what's up, Cub fans? Welcome to episode 106 of Locked On Cubs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Ryan Davis, here again with Sean Sears, bringing you the post-All-Star Game episode. Hopefully this is the last time we have to talk about exhibitions and skills contests on this podcast this year. <laughs> yeah, let's let's hope. Hopefully we can get down to the actual uh, baseball talk here as the week goes on. Yeah, uh, so first segment, we'll just talk a little bit about the All-Star Game. Not, not too heavy-handed there. Second segment... Uh, we'll just go right into trade deadline chat. I mean, that's the real big next thing that that's coming up in, I think, less than two weeks. So mm-hmm. we'll talk a little trade deadline. I wrote a piece for Bet Chicago that I had a little fun with. It was like 1,400 words of here are the players the Cubs have been rumored to uh, be interested in, whether those rumors are real or not. It's not you know out of my hands. But if John Heyman says they're rumored to this guy, then they're rumored to this guy. Uh, we can talk about that. I even added in some fake hypothetical trades that are terrible and wrong and we can laugh (laughs) and talk about those and then uh in the final segment we'll take a question from a listener so uh the american league won in 10 innings yesterday i think it was eight to six thanks to home runs by alex bregman and george springer off ross stripling in the 10th um really from for our purposes what we care about is javier bias had a single on the very first pitch from chris sale and went one for three And Wilson Contreras also hacked at the first pitch and drilled a solo homer in the third inning and finished one for two. So did you watch the whole thing or did you pretty much bounce it once they said Contreras and Baez were out of the game? Yeah, I I floated in and out a little bit. Uh, For the most part, as soon as I knew Contreras was out of the game, I was like, all right, yeah, I'm I'm done. But uh, I mean, gosh, it was funny. Tom Verducci was talking with Javi Baez before. Before he went up to bat and they're asking what he's going to do against Chris Sale and his slider. He's like, I'm going to find a fastball and hit it. And literally the first pitch just pops it right in the center field. <laughs> yeah. No, it was very cool. Uh, the whole evening I thought it was cool seeing players like taking selfies on the field before him while the pitcher warms up. And right. Uh, it, it's just such a different event, but it still is baseball when, you know, when they're pitching and playing. Like, uh, like it's not like the NBA where you, know, you don't see pitchers going out there throwing meatballs down the middle and, and players just like taking hacks. And these guys, uh, it's still competitive. It's still a baseball game, even though they're having fun. And actually, I saw earlier today that um, among the All-Star games in the three different sports, the MLB All-Star game is the highest rated. Really? I didn't yeah. actually, I guess, you know what, honestly, I, I think about that more. That that does kind of make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just because, I mean, no one watches the Pro Bowl, so. <laughs> right, and I feel like the the big conversation around the NBA All-Star Game is that the ratings have been down because it's uh, really just running up and down the floor and, and shooting threes and dunking at this point. And the fact that the players really treat it as just like having fun, which is what they should do, um, right. it, it really has lost the luster that it may have once had where, it, you know, it used to be, you know, like, like I think it's teams pretty much trying to score 200 points at this point. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's honestly it. I know like there's guys like like Bill Simmons used to talk about it all the time on his podcast where he would say like, you know, it was always great to go watch like the end of like the last five or 10 minutes of uh, the NBA All-Star game to see who the five guys were for each group was and see like you know the five best players go up against the other five best players in the league. And that that was cool, but that doesn't happen anymore. So but we're a baseball podcast. We can talk with baseball. Um. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, the other big note from the night, uh, Josh Hader had a bad night overall. Um, uh, yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> um, I, I want to know if maybe he was affected a little bit on the mound. 
because all those guys had their phones in the dugout. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that his phone was blowing up. Uh, if you missed it, Josh, someone went and found Josh Hader's uh, homophobic and sexist tweets from when he was 17 years old and put those back out there. I guess he didn't go scrub his Twitter account before he made it to the big leagues. And yeah. uh, shortly after, he was on the mound allowing four hits and three runs, only one earned uh, in a third of an inning. Yeah, that was that was not good. Um, clearly, the performance on the field was disappointing. And then, you know, like, I mean, there's gifts of, I think it's like Gene Segura and uh, I think someone else or whatever reading tweets as they're in the dugout and just kind of like their jaw dropping, seeing some of this stuff go out as Josh Hader's on the mound getting lit up by the American League team here. So, yeah, it's, any way you spin it, it's a bad look. Yeah, I, I'm not going to defend him for what he said because those are things that, obviously are are wrong and you know right. he was wrong to do it but i also think of the fact that he's it was he was 17 at the time and i think you know what what were some of the things that i may have said or done when i was 17 i really wouldn't be proud of you know obviously he's not as far removed from 17 as i am yeah but uh that's how i try and think of it is hopefully he has changed as his uh life has gone on and he's had more uh diverse experiences and and met more you know diverse groups of people yeah, that's all you can hope for, right? Uh, same with you. I, I won't stick too much on it, but yeah, clearly, I mean, you know, there's things I tweeted at 17 that people would probably be offended by. That's nothing to this type of, right. you know, situation. But yeah, I mean, everyone makes mistakes, but it's a little tough to look the other way when these things kind of surface. Yeah, fortunately for me, uh, really social media in general wasn't around when I was in high school because I'm 32. So, you know, when I was graduating from high school, I was, you know, what, like I was 17 in 2003. So that that was that was when uh, you know, pre social media, pre Facebook, pre Twitter, and I, I've had conversations with old high school friends uh, about some of the shit we did and some of the stuff we said, and <laughs> you know, we were so glad that you know none of that stuff like can like phones with cameras in them that wasn't really around. <laughs> like we we really got lucky hitting that, <laughs> that, that generation right before all that because we would have been in some deep trouble. Yeah, I was I was I was a freshman in high school in 2008 when Facebook like finally became like a more of a thing. So, there's pictures of me doing all sorts of ridiculously dumb things and things I've done a very I've tried very hard to purge that my friends like to bring up at some point, you know, different outfits I wore in high school and things like that that I would like to die, but <laughs> you know, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's enough talking about Josh Hader and his bad night. Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll just quit on that. Um, let's, why don't we move on to uh, trade that line chat unless you have more you want to pontificate on the all-star game? No, no. Let's, uh, let's get in some of these trades. I'm excited to hear what you, you've got proposing here. All right. Let's go. So uh, I wrote this piece at Bet Chicago. Um, I, I basically wanted to break it down into position players the Cubs have been linked to relievers the cubs have been linked to or probably will be linked to mm-hmm. and then same for starters where you know even if it's been legitimate rumors or just chatter i wanted to put it out there so that people could you know look at it um first for the position players these are all three players that the cubs have actually been rumored to be interested in um whether those are true or not uh, it's curtis granderson adam jones and derek dietrich of the miami marlins um 
I don't think that any of those guys are really a fit as the roster is constructed now. And so what I wrote in my story was basically uh, really to make a move for one of these guys. It probably means that there's another bigger move um, separate from the deal that, you know, removes a guy like maybe Ian Happ or um, Tommy Listella from the roster. So um, my, my fake trade, uh, if you have to pick among all of those, uh, if you haven't watched Dietrich lately, I, I've already had one guy pretty angry at me about the. <laughs> he, he referred to him as a as a backup, which I think maybe he just hasn't been paying attention this year because this guy has been, you know, starting and has like a 126 OPS plus for the Marlins. He's very similar to like Chris Coglin in his best seasons with the Cubs. He's 28. He has two years left uh, under team control. So I put down the Marlins are going to want guys close to the big leagues. Uh, Dwayne Underwood. Dylan Maples, Mark Zagunas, and maybe a prospect guy like uh, Zach Short, who all are pretty much uh, fundamentally flawed in one way or another, um, and but all have you know the possibility of making some sort of contribution at the big league level. I felt like that was a pretty fair trade, but you know at least one person's already told me it's insane. Uh, how how do you feel about uh, any of those ideas? I I don't hate that. I mean I like Dietrich. Um, like you said, you have to probably move a piece to add him. Uh, but no, I, I think he's a good bad. I mean, what he's, he's 28 years old, isn't he? He's yeah. almost 30. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, like a solid age, he's can play the outfield. And you're not necessarily worried about him being out there as, whereas Chris Coglin, it might be a defensive liability at this point in his career. Um, he can play first base. You can kind of spell Rizzo who knows Rizzo maybe struggles the rest of the season. And we still don't get the guy that everyone seems to be expecting that he's going to be back. You know, I don't hate it. I think it's a good deal. And the pieces you're giving up, you you said something like Zach Short, right, or Dwayne Underwood, something like in that realm of player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm. I actually thought like a package of all four, uh, considering that he has the two two years left of right the control, control. And, and that's probably overshooting a little bit. Um, I look at it as you know, Maples has the control issues, and right. if he ever gets that under control, uh, Zagunas <laughs> unintended. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> Zagunas can get on base, but you know, is he going to hit uh, at a at a reasonable right. enough clip at the big league level to have his on base mean something? And he really doesn't have the kind of big league power that could pair with it. Uh, he's really only a corner outfielder, so. Uh, is he ever going to be an impact player? And then Underwood, uh, the control issues, he seems to get hit around. He has a great curveball and a developing changeup, but is he ever going to be anything more than maybe a reliever? And then Zach Short, who's you know just kind of a, a lottery ticket prospect at this point. I figured the package of all four is enough for a guy like that who, if you're m- making a bigger deal where you're maybe trading Ian Happ or a couple of the other guys from the big league roster, this is a guy who's going to come in and essentially take the Ian Happ role and do it really well. Yeah, I mean, he's having a great season. Like you said, 350 on base percentage, slugging, not crazy high at 450. I mean, he's still having a good season. He's got a war, a one-point war. I mean, if you're talking about that's your utility guy or bench guy, I mean, that's that's about as much as you can ask for out of a guy like him. And the pieces you're giving up, like you said, I mean, three of those four pieces I've seen in the Cubs minor league system for a very long time, um, and I think there's a reason um, at this point that they're still in the minor leagues and not with the Cubs. And, you know, there's a multitude of, uh, I guess, real like situations where they they actually stick there or whatnot. But yeah, I mean, if you can get, if you can utilize those pieces to get Derek Dietrich or a player in his mold, I think it's worth it. I think it is. Yeah. And it's, I, I will, uh, 
I will concede that I probably overshot by by writing all four. I originally started with just a couple, and then I kind of talked myself into, well, he has a lot of value from the Marlins, and they don't have to deal him because he has two years. If the Cubs right. make a bigger move and they need that bench guy, maybe they need to give up more. I, I could concede that maybe like Underwood and Zach Short alone might be enough for Derek Dietrich. I don't know if they have to give up Maples and Zagunas, but at this point, uh, if they make a bigger move and they need a bench guy and it's at the trade deadline, I don't feel like Maples and Zagunas would have to you know be the the sticking point for the cubs to not make that deal but yeah any, anyway uh, yeah it's it's just a fake trade <laughs> that's how that's how i feel too maybe a little heavy but at the same time the cubs i mean that's realistic the cubs might have to give away three or four pieces for a piece like that so all right so relievers uh i only put down two zach Britton is the one we've talked about before and the one that the cubs mm-hmm. are actually really rumored to the other left-handed reliever on the market is jake diekman of the texas rangers Texas has made pretty much everyone available at this point. Yeah. Um, I won't get in too much on Britain because I kind of lean towards Diekman as the one that might be more realistic considering a lot of factors, the Orioles and in being involved, the fact there's a lot of teams that'll be interested in Britain. Uh, for Diekman, I put uh, slugging catcher Michael Cruz and starting pitcher Javier Assad of the South Bend Cubs. Okay. I actually, I mean, to get Diekman, I'd be very okay with that trade. Um, like you said, the Orioles are just impossible to deal with right now. I know that we just they just officially or maybe not officially agreed to trade Manny Machado, according to Ken Rosenthal. But uh, I mean, that was like what, like a two year process in the making, essentially. <laughs> and the Cubs have almost apparently traded for Zach Britton like three separate times in the last two and a half years. Uh, they can get a guy like Diekman, who's having a great season for the Rangers. Uh, he's got like in 41 games, he's got a, almost an 11K per nine. His ERAs at 321. I mean, that's uh, for a lefty reliever, that's great. And to give up the pieces you're talking about, I mean, these are guys that are just, you know, are have almost no shot in the dark to make this Cubs roster. So to flip them for that, I think it's a win-win. The Rangers get some by low prospects for a guy, Jake Diekman, who's not going to be around when they're good. So I think it's a win-win. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't feel like uh, for a rental reliever who might be able to help you win a World Series this year as maybe a loogie in the bullpen. Uh, I feel like it makes sense. Those two guys are uh, just guys essentially picked off the uh, A-ball roster who, you know, aren't aren't even going to be in the big leagues for at least a few more years. Um, Right. This is a guy who has a 619 OPS allowed against lefties in his career. He's had some control issues in the past. He walked a little bit too many early in the year, but I looked it up. His last 22 games uh, that he's appeared in, he's only walked five guys, so he's really got that under control. I I feel like he's a a solid target that won't cost nearly as much as Britain, but I don't feel like they need Britain specifically. I I think they just need a second lefty that you can rely on to pair with Justin Wilson. Yeah, uh, you you beat me to the walks thing. I was about to ask you about that because I see he's got nearly – he's got over five walks per nine. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it sounds like control issues are a lot better in these most recent innings. But, yeah, that's that's – I mean – if the Cubs need absolutely one thing at the deadline, which I'm not entirely sold on that they even need, but if they needed to add one thing, it's a lefty reliever to pair with Justin Wilson. Um, they don't need Zach Britton as great as he would be. If the asking price was favorable to the Cubs, that'd be great. But, you know, he's going to get something close to what Brad Hand gets or the Padres get for Brad Hand. Uh, you know, so I, I think Britton might be out of the price range for the Cubs, at least in their mindset, at least. So, yeah, Jake Diekman, a solid plan B. Yeah, and there's also Randy Rosario. I mentioned in the piece yes. that uh, you know he's been really good for the Cubs. He's gotten great results, but uh, some of that has been 
uh, a little bit fluky based on his peripherals. He's walked a little too many. He hasn't missed a lot of bats. Uh, there's already, you've, you've already started to see a little bit of the regression yeah. uh, in his last couple times out. So I'm not saying that Rosario can't be that guy or that he won't kind of start missing bats and, and walking less guys. But to this point, he hasn't earned the trust enough to be that second guy. Yeah. I'm there with you. What do you, uh, what's your, what's your next trade? Who do you got? I'm excited for these. These are fun. All right. So <laughs> for the starters, I listed Jay Happ. James Shields and Jacob deGrom uh, for Shields is the one that I made the trade. Um, I put Shields for Charcer Burks, who's a 23-year-old outfielder at AA, who's not really spectacular in any way. That's one of my favorite prospects. I love Charcer Brooks. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I, sorry. I dumped all over your guy. Well, no, I, I just figured I went and started looking at the rosters, and I was just like, Charcer Burks really hasn't done anything to inspire he's been, you. He's been bad this year. He's been pretty bad. It's a disappointment, but yeah, he uh he follows me on Twitter. We're buds. We play. Uh, oh oh we, no, we've uh we've attempted to play Fortnite together a couple of times. He's a fun dude, but yeah, no, he knows he's having a bad season. It's pretty funny. He's pretty candid about it, but yeah, no. Uh, when it comes to the trade, I mean that's uh, that's about that's about what I would say. I mean, when you're trading James Shields, uh, the White Sox know they're not getting much back. A buy low guy like Charcer Brooks, he has potential. He's athletic, and I think that's something the White Sox definitely you know, appreciate when it comes to their youthful roster. They like the versatility or whatnot. So he makes sense. Uh, I know people would go ballistic if James Shields ever donned a, a Cubs uniform. But oh, uh, we talked we talked about it in the last podcast. I don't hate it. I, I think it's an interesting idea. If the goal is to have this guy eat innings to keep your pitchers that are going to actually pitch in the postseason healthy or at least, you know, fresh, you know, it's tough to find a better guy that fits that mold. You know, he's going to eat innings. He'll be for the most part effective, and he competes throughout his starts. And I think that's impressive. There's plenty of times where James Shields gives up a ton of runs and could give up in the second inning, but he grinds and he fights his way to five or six innings. And you know, that's what you need. Yeah, the other deal that I put in that I thought might be realistic, uh, and it would probably be predicated on the Cubs making another deal um, for obvious reasons, but right. uh, it would be it would be Hap for Victor Caratini, and then a, a pitcher that's close to the big leagues like Trevor Clifton, who doesn't necessarily have like a really high ceiling. Okay, and that would be to get like the the Groms of the world, right? <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that that would be to get Jay Hap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes more sense. Uh, yeah, no, uh, Jay Hap, he's the guy that I mean. That seemed like a couple weeks ago the guy that everyone seemed to think the Cubs were really in on. I'm not sold on it. I like J.A. Happ. I think he's interesting. He's a guy that I've always kind of looked at peripheral-wise and been like, you know, if he ever were a free agent, I'd be okay with the Cubs adding him. But I don't know. In this situation, he's, I mean, clearly trade the line deals are oversaturated to the absolute max, and you get a lot more than he probably should for certain guys. I'd be nervous to trade for a guy like him just because his upside isn't fantastic, and the pieces you're giving away probably have a higher ceiling. Yeah, but you know, if they absolutely yeah. did that, sure. Yeah, and I mean, I don't love that trade. I I tried to put it down as something that I feel like would be realistic for a guy like that, considering how the market for starting pitchers can often be. Yes, um, I don't love the idea of trading Victor Caratini for for Hap. Um, that's just yeah. I would hope to get more out of him, considering he's a you know. I think a lot of Cub fans look at him as the backup catcher because he is, but he's also a, a legitimate starting catcher prospect. That yeah. I think that's how other teams look at him, but because there's Wilson Contreras that's in the way, you don't look at him as a starting, you know, catcher prospect. Right. I was actually so when the, the Cubs acquired him from the pot or was it the Pirates or the 
Bra- it was the Pirates. It, it was. I think it was the Braves. It was in the uh, James right. Russell deal, right? Yes, I believe so. That's right, actually. When they acquired him, I was actually excited about him because, I mean, I, I'd seen a little bit about Currentini, and I was like, you know what? He actually looks like the mold that you'd want as a catcher, a switch hitting guy. I didn't know Wilson Contreras had even really moved from third base to catcher at that point and was like a thing until he was all of a sudden a thing, it felt like. But yeah. I liked Carantini. I was excited about him. I saw him as the catcher of the future. Even when Wellington Castillo was here, I was like, I like this Carantini guy. Now he's here, and of course, like a lot of prospects, can be a little underwhelming, but he's got plenty of pop. He works really hard. It seems like he gets along with everyone on this team. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to go out and do what he's doing with his veteran staff is, you know, okay. He hasn't been fantastic, but I mean, it. if the Cubs are going to move Quarantini, it better be for a good piece. And I don't know if J.A. Happ is the guy I'm going to be thrilled about, but, you know, it is what it is. So. Yeah. Well, we have a question about Caratini that we'll get to in the final segment, but yeah. uh, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. The other one that I put out there, uh, this one was more just kind of poking fun at the fans who love to create fake trades as much as I love to write them. Um, I wrote this, a deal featuring Ian Happ, Addison Russell, and Mike Montgomery probably only gets the Cubs hung up on on DeGrom. Um, the Mets are going to want at least one of Wilson Contreras, Kyle Schwarber, or Javier Baez, and the latter is certainly not happening. So that's where I am with DeGrom. I feel like the chances are very slim. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the asking price for Jacob DeGrom. The Mets know, I mean, this guy's incredible. He, If, you know, Max Scherzer probably grandfathered into the starting pitcher for the National League, deservingly, but, you know, Jacob DeGrom's been the best pitcher in baseball this year, like hands down. He's been incredible. He's been exactly what you look for in an ace. For the Mets to try and trade him at this point, they know how valuable a piece that is. They're going to expect someone to overpay, and the Cubs aren't just not going to do it. It just doesn't make any sense. And like you said, even this package here of Russell, um, Ian Happ, and Mike Montgomery is stellar, but there's no way the Mets accept it because they're going to get better offers from other teams. So, Right. All right. Well, that, I think that wraps it up for trade deadline talk, uh, at least for this episode. I'm sure we'll have more rumors that come out, but uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about that piece I wrote. I'll probably link it in the description so you guys can go actually read it, even though I've already given away all my uh, fake trades. There are other reasons to to read it. I make some cases for players, so uh, go check that out. But do you have anything else you wanted to say on any of those guys or any other guys that you've heard the Cubs might be rumored to? You heard about this Manny Machado guy? I feel like he could be a real stud for the Cubs if they made the deal. What do you think? <laughs> I threw in a throwaway line about him where I was basically just like, nope, don't even think about it. Yeah. All right, well, let's go ahead and go to our final segment and talk a little bit about Caratini again. So uh, this question comes from one of our listeners. Uh, it's via Twitter. It says, is Victor Caratini the answer at backup catcher, considering the second half always sees more off days for the starting catcher? I would say probably yes at this point, uh, unless the Cubs mm-hmm. really, uh, unless they make a move that gets them a veteran backup who maybe doesn't have as much upside, and then they ended up moving Caratini in, in a trade like we talked about, uh, you know, where you acquire a player like a starting pitcher. So um, I, I would think barring that kind of scenario where they're trading Caratini, I think this is the guy they're going to roll with. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like you said, unless they move the guy in some trade to get a different piece, uh, who else is there to really do this? Uh, there's no one veteran-wise that really worked out. Chris Jimenez, clearly, as great as he is as a clubhouse guy, wasn't the option or answer there really for the Cubs. He's got the bat to do it. He adds more than just being a backup catcher. Um, 
the biggest question really was like, you know, is it worth letting Quarantini sit on the bench when he could probably be developing? And after the the minors, it's clear the dude doesn't need any more seasoning. He just needs to be playing more consistently in the MLB. And, you know, to give Wilson Contreras plenty of rest with a guy like Quarantini, who's bat, you know, isn't at the level of Contreras, but definitely, you know, not a backup catcher, your stand-up backup catcher, that's good. It's good value. It's exactly what I think the Cubs would be looking for if they could have an option of two catchers. So I like Carantini. I think he should be the backup. I, I think he should be the guy the Cubs keep on this roster as long as they can, barring any, you know, potential trades they need to make. But yeah, Carantini's a good fit. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it is I think it is the right fit for the Cubs right now. Um, at some point they're going to have to trade him right I and mean, this is a guy who probably has aspirations to be a starting catcher you would assume and he has the talent to do it he's probably one of their uh, most you know most attractive trade pieces i would think uh for teams especially the team looking for a young catcher uh like you mentioned all the things right. switch hitter has pop he could go and play first base for you as well uh, he's a solid defensive catcher who has a great throwing arm he's still developing his framing skills because he hasn't been a catcher all that long he's very right. similar in in Contreras in that same way so he's still developing those some of those skills but um you mentioned hard worker this guy's gonna become a very solid catcher I think if not a starting catcher somewhere he'll be a uh, a backup that you know kind of hits for pop and uh plays a little first and, and makes it to through the big leagues for 10 seasons I think yeah, I mean, well, you think about like some of the catchers, like Deion Navarro is a guy that went from being an all-star with the Rays to like a kind of forgotten player, shows up with the Cubs again, gets traded to, I think, Toronto or something like that, just randomly getting picked up as he goes along. There's a reason catchers like that guy stick around, and you have to think if Deion Navarro can make a you know 10-plus-year career out of being just kind of a pretty good catcher with a decent bat, Carantini could be sticking around. I, I think a lot of people forget like how hard it is to find catchers who are good at what they do, that being a catcher, while also adding something more of the bat. Carantini is a great hitter who happens to be pretty okay at a catching and has a potential to be solid. So, I mean, that's extremely attractive to teams. And if you don't think that, I don't think you're necessarily looking at the optics of it. I think you're just seeing, like, well, who wants Carantini? We don't want him. Why would anyone else want him? Well, no. Not everyone has Wilson Contreras, okay? So why don't we... <laughs> right. There's a really strong case to be made that at, at this very moment, Contreras is maybe the best catcher in baseball, maybe the top two or three. I mean, definitely top three, I would think. So when you have that guy, you know, having a backup is important, obviously, but, you know, uh, you, you're going to have a, a different lens that you view him through. Right. Yeah, I agree. So, But yeah, good question, though. I mean, Carantini is... It's a very interesting case. Like you said, at some point, the Cubs are going to have to move him just because his value is going to exceed being on a different roster than it will be for the Cubs. Like The return for him will be more impactful than him being a backup catcher on this roster at some point. Right. All right. Well, thanks again for the question. Uh, please always send us questions on, twi on Twitter or email, I guess. Uh, we're at LockedOnCubs on Twitter, or you can email us at LockedOnCubs at gmail.com. Yeah, send that stuff our way, especially for these next couple days when the Cubs aren't playing. That Those are the hardest times for us to come up with stuff to talk about. We've got that trade yes. deadline piece that I wrote that I thought would be really great to dissect. But other than that, we need we need topics, man. Yeah, hey, we're open to any type of content. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can talk about anything you want. <laughs> we are we are really good at finding things to talk about if you give it to us. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for listening, guys. This has been episode 106 of Locked on Cubs.
part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Ryan Davis. That's Sean Sears. Take it easy, guys.